Wise and Foolish Builders from the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Ajay. We're now at the end of our Sermon on the Mount series. We've been on this for about seven months, church, all right? Seven months. And um, uh, I don't know why, but I always feel like whenever I preach, I always get like the hard and difficult texts. Um, I always feel like Pastor Peter and like, you know, Pastor David, they're like, oh, we can't preach on that, but we know who can. Um, And so, yeah, so I get the privilege and honor to preach on this uh, quite a difficult text. But uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, the word of God, it's never easy to hear because it it requires transformation in our lives. Amen? Amen. So uh, if all else fails and if you get very offended by today's message, just remember this, be desperate for God. All right. That is the message for today's sermon. It's about being desperate for God. Um, we've heard the term desperate times calls for desperate measures, and I think that statement couldn't have been more true in the past 16 months. Um, you know, we're still in this pandemic, um, and I know we're trying to get out of it, or it seems like there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're still in, in a desperate times uh, because in these past 16 months, we battled a pandemic. We battled natural disasters like floodings, there's hurricanes, there's wildfires, um, and maybe not the, mic- the macro and the uh, public aspect, but even the micro and the private and personal aspects. You know, some of us, we've lost our jobs. Some of us, there's an increase of domestic violence at our homes. Some of us, there's an increase of um, deterioration in our mental health. From the macro to the micro of things, it seems like we're facing catastrophe after catastrophe. Desperate times calls for desperate measures, and a lot of that times, when we act upon desperate measures, it gets ugly. It gets really ugly. However, as Christians, I want to encourage us that we are called to be desperate for God in all situations of life, in the good and the bad, in the ugly and the absolute strange. We're called to be desperate for God, and that is my encouragement for us today. So in today's passage from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 29, we're going to unpack what does it mean to be desperate for God. So please turn with me to Matthew 7, 24 to 29. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Um, it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 29. Awesome. All right, Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of our Lord. Let me pray before we start. Uh, God of grace, mercy, and love, um, thank you so much uh, for giving us the privilege and honor to hear your word. Thank you, God, for giving me the privilege and honor to preach your word and to wrap up the sermon series of the Sermon on the Mount. God, it's not always easy to hear your word. It's not easy because it requires so much transformation, and there's a lot of conviction that happens when we read and hear your word. But God, we ask for your spirit to empower us to not just hear it today, but to obey you faithfully and to really unpack what does it mean to be desperate for you in such desperate times. And I pray in your son's name, amen. Um, so there's two things I want to point out. What does it mean to be desperate for God? The first point is you need, to be desperate for God, you need to hear God. Hear God. 
So we, we just saw in 24 and 26, I just want to pull that up real quick. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, it says it over and over. But the difference is that the first person, they hear these words of mine, they hear Christ's words, and they do something about it. But then the latter verse, it says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, you end up becoming a foolish builder. So when Jesus tells us to hear these words of mine, I think it's really easy for us to just look at the Sermon on the Mount and be like, okay, it's Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And if, as long as I have a checklist like that, I have fulfilled Jesus. I've heard his words. But I think it's a lot more than that. And the question we have to ask, church, it's not what are we hearing, but who are we hearing? Are we hearing God or are we hearing another voice? In the Old Testament, there's actually someone who's really similar to Jesus that does the exact same thing. You know, Jesus is on the mountain. He's on, a, he's on a mountain. He's teaching. There's a crowd waiting, and he has a bunch of commandments. There's someone in the Old Testament. His name's Moses. And I want to quickly read the parallel between Moses and Jesus to really drive the point about what it means to hear God in the commandments and not just simply do things. So it's in Exodus 34, 4 to 8. Exodus 34, 48, and it says this. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, um, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Moses in the Old Testament, he was sharing these laws with them, not for them to be perfect, and it's not for them to do things perfectly, but it's about hearing the God of that law. Moses was drilling the commandments into the Israelites because he was telling them it's about hearing this beautiful God. I mean, we just read it. Moses heard this God, and immediately he didn't do the Ten Commandments, but what he immediately did, he bowed his head and he worshiped. And that is what Christ is demanding of us. It's about worshiping. But we cannot worship if we don't hear God in the commandments. Metro, are we hearing God in all situations of life? Or are we just hear, hearing another spirit and another voice? Because if we're not hearing God, we're going to hear another spirit. We're going to hear another voice. And that's frightening. And a lot of that times, that voice, it tends to be shame. And I know what it's like to hear shame all your life. Because I heard shame a lot of my life. Shame is scary because when you hear shame, it's actually wrapped up in a lot of good stuff and a lot of times it's in Christian ethics. It can look real nice and fluffy, but a lot of times it's deteriorating your soul. It's hurting you. For me, um, some of you all know I grew up as a pastor's kid. And I'm not saying this for all pastor's kids because, you know, Pastor Shirley and Pastor Peter, I'm sure you're great parents, and Pastor Nancy. But um, just, just personally for me as a pastor's kid, I think the two words to describe my experience is uh, it sucks. Like, it, was just, it just sucked. It, it, it was bad. I, I hated it. Um, and the reason it sucks so much is because every single time um, I did something, I, I just got rebuked. I got yelled at by my dad. And, and common, the common phrase I heard is, don't embarrass me. Or it was always, what are people going to think about our family because of what you did? Yeah. Yeah. 
so growing up as a pastor kid, that was my life. I always had to be a, a weary of like, how are people going to view me? Because the way people view me, that's a reflection upon my family. So it, it was a lot of shame. It was just shame upon shame. And specifically, I want to share with you in the fourth grade, I had this incident where I was, uh, you know, I was just being a kid. And I was wrestling with my friends right down the street. And, um, you know, he didn't know, but then when he pinned me down, at the edge of the chair, there was a sharp edge, and actually my head got gashed. And then suddenly there was blood everywhere, and, like, you know, we were freaking out. So, and I, you know, I'm a kid. My adrenaline level is super, super high, and I immediately rushed to my dad because that's what any kid would do. You would go to your parent for protection, for love. When I went to my dad seeking protection, for seeking tender loving care, I got a lot of shame. My dad looked at me with such disappointment. He's like, you're such an embarrassment. Why are you being so stupid? Why aren't you thinking about how this is going to make me look? And I remember he hit me so hard in that same place. And, and uh, the next, I thought it was the next day I woke up. I went to school, and uh, my friends were like, hey, like, where were you? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you know, I just, it was, it was just one day, right? Like, you go to school, you go home, and you see him the next day. When they replied, I didn't see you for two days, man. My dad drilled me. And it's because all he heard was shame. All my dad heard was shame. And that's what I, that's, that's what he gave me. That's all he could. It made me feel so insignificant. I mean, could you imagine that? I was in fourth grade. I mean, I think any parent would immediately call the hospital, bring them to the hospital. Can you care and help my child? But I remember these words so clearly. My dad's like, we don't have money for you. You're not worth it. And as a pastor's kid, even this Bible, my dad would always tell me, this Bible is worth more than your life. That made me feel so insignificant. To me as a child, this is just books. It's, it's just pages. I know this is the word of God, but just from a, value, from, a, from a dollar value, this is like $20. You know? So for me to hear, hear that, it's being told, like, I'm not even worth $20. Church, when we do not hear God, we will hear another voice, and it's going to deteriorate us. It's not only going to deteriorate us, it's going to hurt those around you. So the rain fell, the floods came in my life, the winds blew and beat against me, and I was falling into shame. So how do we hear God? How can we hear God and not hear these other voices that are telling us and trying to deteriorate us? And I think one way, I'm not saying this is the only way, but I think one way we can hear God is you have to Sabbath. And some of you who have been attending Metro, you know this well, but you have got to Sabbath. Because when you don't Sabbath, you can't hear God. And the reason Sabbath is so important is because you're setting aside this time, this day, to specifically hear God in a world that is trying to tell you otherwise. There are so many other voices in the world we live in a world that says you are what you produce. And if you don't produce enough, you're not good enough. For those of you that lost your job during the pandemic, I can understand how much that would make you feel. Everyone else is producing stuff but you. You can't feel but shame. All you hear is shame. But when we Sabbath, what you're telling the world is no. Even if I don't produce, I am loved by God. And I choose to hear God. And I choose not to hear any other voice but God. Sabbath is that important. I mean, in the Old Testament, it's number four out of the Ten Commandments. Do you want to know, you want to know what number six is? It's murder. 
Okay, God is putting Sabbath above murder. That's how important it is. So church, I want to encourage us. We have got to Sabbath. We need to hear God because we are living in desperate times. But may we be desperate for a God of grace, mercy, and love and not a voice of shame or any other voice. My dad, he was so concerned about hearing shame. My dad, he didn't Sabbath for 15 years. He was only doing ministry, ministry, ministry. This guy went to early morning prayer like twice a day. I didn't even think that was possible. But he was so into um, doing stuff and being so driven by shame, it started deteriorating him and me. Church, when we do not Sabbath, we cannot hear God. And when, not if, when the rain falls, the floods come and the wind blows on you, you're going to fall. I know how it feels. The second point of what does it mean to be desperate for God is you need to obey God in all situations of life. And you need to be obedient to who God is. Look at verse 24 and 26 again. I I emphasize in the first part about, it's about the hearing, but in this part, I want to talk about the obeying portion. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine does them will be a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be a foolish man who built his house on sand. Hearing and doing the word of God, hearing and doing, hearing and obeying who God is, they're tied together. The first person you build upon rock because you're hearing who God is and you're able to exemplify that. But the second person that Jesus describes, if you hear anyone but God, you're going to be faithful to that. And if all you hear is shame, you're going to be faithful and obedient to building your life upon that. It says it clearly, church. You can either be a wise builder or a foolish one. You can hear the God of grace, mercy, and love and be obedient to him, or you can hear another voice and be obedient to that. But you will be obedient to one or the other. We've all heard it said, do not use God's name in vain. Um, and I think a lot of times we think God, saying God's name in vain is saying, don't say, oh my God, or don't say Jesus Christ. Um, I know, like, I'm not saying say it, okay? Like, I want to be very clear. Like, and I'm glad a lot of the middle school kids left because, um, yeah, I, I feel like um, sometimes, like, I would say, oh my God, and they're like, Pastor IJ, my mom said don't say that. I'm like, well, your mom's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, like, like I'm not saying don't say that, but do not use God's name in vain. It's a lot deeper than that. It's because when the reason God says, do not use my name in vain, it's not just saying, oh my God, but it's living it out. So what I mean by that, if you and I, if we are Christians and we're saying we love Jesus, don't you think we have to reflect him? If we say, I love Jesus, but we don't exemplify the God of grace, mercy, and love in every aspect of our lives, we're using God's name in vain. In the Sermon on the Mount, when it says pray, when it says fast, when it says forgive, you don't just do these things for the hell of it. You do it because that's who God is. That's what it means to be obedient to God. In all that you do, you reflect and represent a God of grace, mercy, and love. I just read it for you in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and compassionate God. That is the kind of God we are obedient obedient to. My dad, he, um, quite frankly, he did a lot of Christian stuff. He's a pastor. But I think for a, a huge chunk of his life, he wasn't really obedient to who God is. He was just obedient to the things God's telling him to do. 
And essentially, he was just obedient to people. And around middle school, um, uh, some of you know, I only became a U.S. citizen last year. So, you know, my family, we had issues with naturalization. Um, and especially in the middle school time, that's when, like, it, we had to start from scratch. Things just went terribly wrong. Um, you know, we were, like, confiding with this immigration lawyer and totally screwed us over. And, like, we had to start from complete scratch. And, uh, you know, for a period of time, our family was undocumented. And you could, you could imagine how much embarrassment I felt. And I didn't want to tell anybody. It was just so embarrassing. But at this time, at this specific time, I didn't know that. Um, and I'm not saying I was a bad kid, but I wasn't the best kid growing up. So I got a lot of detentions. Um, and, like, you know, I feel like anyone could get that. You could get detention for being late, whatever. But then, um, the, you know, the public school system, I don't, you know, someone decided to send a letter to my Korean father, right? I'm like, you know, I just, you know, I went to Fort Lee, Fort Lee public school system. I just, you know, don't really like you guys. But anyways, you know, he decided to send a letter to my dad, and I didn't know this. I was like, I'm never going to tell my parents about detention. But then, you know, I got home and my dad, he was so enraged because he was so stressed out. Because all he was thinking about is what's our church going to think of us if we get kicked out of the country? If we get kicked out of this country, and I told people, God told me to plant a church, people are going to think I'm a failure. So all he was hearing is shame and hearing things from what other people are going to view him. And because that's all he was hearing, that's all he was obedient towards. He was so obedient towards the church. He was a slave to the church. And because of that, he, my dad, he was just so filled with rage and anxiety. And I want to make this clear. Like my, I told you, my dad, he was such a faithful prayer warrior. But that in his prayers, he wasn't really faithful in reflecting God. I mean, think about that. If you're praying every single day, but you're, you're anxious every time you pray, you're not really being obedient to God. You can pray all you want, but if you're anxious every single time you pray, you're obedient to anxiety. You're obedient to shame. You're obedient to everything but God. And that was my dad. And I remember he was so angry with me. He took me to a room and he started beating me with a wooden pole. And it was as thick as a bat. And even after it broke and I couldn't move, I thought that would be the end of it. But he kept going. And I had to pick up the pieces. Church, that made me feel so small. And it made me feel like every, every single time something bad happened in life, it's my fault. Every single time our family, something was shaking us, it was my fault. It didn't happen to my brother. It didn't happen to my sister. He actually didn't have a bad relationship with my mom, but it happened to me. And because my dad, he was just so obedient to people rather than God, I started building my life on sand. The, wind, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and, and beat against me, and I started falling, falling so much into that. And I know as some of you are hearing this story, you're like, I hate your dad, man. Like, I'm so enraged with your dad. He's so disgusting. But to be honest, we all have the capacity for that evil. I'm not telling you this sermon so you could take my side. I'm not telling you this sermon so you could support me emotionally. I'm telling you this sermon because any, every single one of us has the potential to do such great evil. And we could do it easily in such desperate times. We could take desperate measures and it's going to turn ugly. We are great sinners, church. 
But I'm here today to tell you we're saved by an even greater grace. We're saved by an even greater grace. And the gospel, it's not about God forcing you to do these things, but it's about God inviting you to build a healthy life, a life upon rock and not upon sand. It's about God inviting you to build, not to break yourself. But before we build on the rock, I share with you all of this because we need to be convicted. Some of us have been building our lives on sand for a little too long. And before we build on rock, we need to see that our foundations are shaky and it's on sand. There's actually a happy ending to this story, I promise. And my dad and I, we're actually, you would not believe it, but we're actually in the best relationship I could have ever imagined. We're actually friends, and I want to tell you what that is. I want to tell you how we got there. Um, and as you can imagine, like, I've been in an abusive relationship with my dad, and to me, per- personally, I didn't know that was abuse. I couldn't label it as abuse. It's your father. Yeah. And every single time he hurt me, he would be like, you know, I love you. Yeah. That's all. So I didn't think of it as that. But I think now I can say I, that was a really toxic relationship. But I remember when I was uh, around 15 or so, it was like the summer I was becoming a junior in high school, and that's when actually my life started changing. And that's when I, I accepted Christ for the first time. That's when I stopped be, being a little punk and really changing my life for the better. That's when my, my D's started becoming B's. I know some of you B's are still not good enough, but you know, I graduated, come on now. Uh, so yeah, 2.7, let's go, let's go. But anyways, uh, yeah, like it's, I started changing. Things started changing. Um, but I, I remember this one summer, I got a phone call from my grandma at, in Korea, and she told me, hey, is your father home? And I was like, he's not. And she said, could you just let him know your grandfather passed away? And just giving some of you background, my father and his father, they had a terrible relationship. He only saw him twice in his life. Um, my grandfather died as a not knowing Christ. And so I just told some of you, we had immigration issues, so my dad couldn't even go to his own funeral. He couldn't even go to his own father's funeral. Um, but I remember, I mean, as some of you know, I have a terrible issue with my dad. I could not tell him this. Um, so I told my sister to tell him. <laughs> I was like, you have a good relationship with dad. You can go tell him. So, I'm, so he started, you know, she, uh, she ended up telling him. And for about three weeks to a month or so, it was so quiet in the house. I've never seen my dad so defeated. And he just, he didn't yell at me. We didn't fight. It was just so quiet in the house. But it, it broke me because I saw him so broken. Every night he was just weeping. I mean, imagine that. You hated someone your entire life, and you couldn't even reconcile with them being a Christian. He's a pastor. He's preaching to people forgive, love, and he couldn't even do that for his own father. So he was broken. But I remember that time, you know, that time passed, and then uh, the fight started happening again. And this time, we got in the worst fight ever. And um, he just started comparing me and just started trashing on me, like, you're not good enough. How could you be so bad at school? How could you be so bad at um, sports? How could you be like this? You're so, you're such a failure. You're not good enough. And as he kept saying that, he kept hitting my face, and he kept knuckling my face, and he ended up punching me. And I was so angered. I don't know what came in me. I ended up fighting back for the first time. And I think that really shocked him. And I don't know what came within me, but I just had to reply, I'm so sick of this. I will never be good enough for you. I'm clearly not this, and I'm clearly not that. 
but you keep trying to force me to be something or someone I'm not. I will never be good enough for you. I don't know what kind of idea of a son, of a perfect son you have, but that's not me. I will never be good enough for you. And I, I, I'm not your son. I, just, I walked away from him thinking, you know, God, you can do a lot, but you, you can never fix this. I just walked away from that, and I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I was just so ready, like, man, like, we're real, like our relationship's really done for. But I remember my dad, he turned me around, and I just saw tears flowing down from his cheeks. And that was the first time he said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I hurt you. I don't know what it's like to be a father. I, I can't have a relationship with my father. He's dead. He's gone. He, I, I couldn't even share the gospel with him. But with you, I never want that to happen. I love you. I know I fall short so much. I know I didn't give you a perfect life. But I am so sorry. I want to build this life with you. That was the first time he said, I'm sorry. I said, I he said, I love you. And that was the beginning of our relationship. And I want to let you all know, it's not like once that happened, it was everything was like roses and butterflies. We still fight till this day. We still argue. We're family. That's what family does. You get in each other's skin sometimes. But man, our relationship has grown so much. After that God moment, that miracle moment, you know, my dad and I, we, we really, it, it, my dad changed. He started taking Sabbaths. He started actually wanting to be a father for the first time. That changed his ministry. He started caring for me. My brother, my younger brother, He's never laid a hand on my brother. And my dad, ever since that day, he was just really taking time to hear this God, this God of grace, mercy, and love, and being obedient to him. And same for me. I was like, man, I need to hear and obey this God of grace, mercy, and love. And it's not just us individually, but we as a family, we started building on the rock. We started building on rock we were beginning to hear God. We were beginning to be obedient to God. And just, like, just to let you know how um, difficult this journey is, how much work there is, and how I'm not telling you this is easy, but it's really hard. You know, recently, I mean, we're still in this pandemic, but uh, recently, around like November, my dad, he, actually, he ended up getting COVID. And he got really sick. And that, for about two weeks, I had to cook for him breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I was caring for him and tending to him. In a time when he was sick in his bed, trust me, there were a lot of times I was so tempted to hear another voice but God. I was tempted to hear a voice that says, he deserves that. Do you know what he did to you? Don't care for him. Even some of my friends, they would say, IJ, cut him out of your life. He's toxic. But at the foot of the cross... It's not about abusers and, and abused. It's not about victimizers and victims. It's about those who are redeemed, restored, and renewed. It's about transformation. And that's the gospel message. And I refuse to hear any other message but the gospel message. And I want to invite all of you today. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying building on rock is an easy game. But I want to encourage you to hear God. Be desperate for him. 
and be obedient to this God in all situations of life. You're not want, you're, there's going to be a lot of days you don't want to hear or obey him, but I promise you God will reward that. Build your life on rock. So church, let's hear this gracious God. Let's obey this gracious, merciful, loving God. Let's build on rock, that rock whose name is Jesus. Let's be desperate for God. It's not the most attractive thing to do, but it is the most everlasting thing we will ever do. Let's pray. God of grace, mercy, and love. Lord, you've given us your beautiful word. You told us to hear these words. But more than your words, it's it's about hearing you. It's about being obedient to you and your character. Lord, there are so many voices in our lives, God. We are living in desperate times. It's tempting, God, to be desperate. It's tempting, God, to be desperate for everything but you. It's so easy, God, to take matters into our own hands. When we're pushed against the wall and we feel like there's no way out, we just want to take matters into our own hands. There's so many voices, God, in this world. But God, as we are living in such desperate times, give us strength to be desperate for you. Give us power and courage, God, to be desperate to you. God, many of us in this room, we've been building our lives on sand. And our house, it looks nice. It looks really nice and comfortable, but the foundations are sand because we're building our lives on, on, on shame. We're building our lives on the world telling us to do better, be better. We're building our lives on everything but you. God, the rain is falling, the flood is coming, the wind is blowing and it's beating against many of us. But in that time of brokenness, you are a God of grace, mercy, and love. And you're inviting us today to build upon you the rock. And that when the rain falls, when the flood comes, when the wind blows and beats against us, we'll never fall. We're not going to fall because you won't let us. So God, as we are living in these desperate times and, you know, life gets ugly, help us to stay founded on you. Help us to build upon you. Help us to hear and obey your word in all situations, even when it's tempting to not. Thank you, God. Thank you for reminding us that you're a gracious God, you're a merciful Father, and you are the lover of our soul. Amen. Um, yeah, Pastor Peter said it before, um, right after this, you know, don't go anywhere because we're gonna, we're gonna open up virtual prayer rooms. And I also want to encourage us to, you know, get physical prayer too. Uh, There's going to be a lot of people around here to uh, pray with you in person. Um, And I really want to encourage you all to pray. Maybe some of you, it's hard to pray by yourself. But we can do it together as a family. We can pray and hear together as a family. Um, And I got a couple next steps for you. 
um, the first next step is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. Uh, maybe for some of you, building on sand, you only build on sand because you didn't know about this rock called Jesus. And I want to invite you today to build on Jesus, to build on this rock. Uh, the next, next step is I will join a summer community group. Um, like I said before, it's not easy to hear God. It's not easy to be obedient to God. It's not easy to build upon the rock by yourself. You don't have to do it by yourself. We could do it as a family. So I, know, I want to encourage you all, join these summer groups. You know, one of the summer groups is actually going hiking. And I think for some of you, we got to step away from technology and just commune with God and hear God in nature. So, you know, please, I invite you, join a summer group. Um, next one is, I will register for today's college-age brunch and Bible study. If you're in college uh, group, and college age, I say age 18 to 25-ish, because, um, you know, some of us, we are maybe taking a break or maybe we don't want to go to college, but I want to invite you, you know, come and join us. Meet me outside after service is over. Um, and let's, you know, let's uh, eat together. Let's fellowship. Let's break bread. And let's get deep into God's word together. Um, the next one is I'll register for early marriage ministry um, on Wednesday, starting July 21st. Um, if you have any questions about that, you know, please reach out to Pastor Clay. He's our um, early marriage pastor. Um, and I think um, for many of us, you know, we've been kind of uh, distant um, because of this pandemic. But, you know, really want to encourage you all to fellowship together. And what better way than to bowl together? Um, and, and finally, it's I'll register for the Soulmate Workshop on Thursday, July 29th. Um, I really, really want to encourage you all, you know, find a soulmate and find somebody who you can confide in and to keep you accountable. I know for a fact, you know, for my dad, man, if he found a soulmate earlier on in life, I think, I think he, it would have helped a lot. It would have helped him with a lot of his trauma and a lot of his family generational, a lot of his generational sins. And I encourage you all, you know, find that soulmate. Find someone to keep you accountable. Find someone you can confide in and really build on the rock together. Um, that's all I got for today. And uh, um, worship team is going to lead us out.